Main Street to Wall Street. Global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Many of us grew up playing video games at the arcade, and this decades-old industry continues to evolve and adapt itself to cater to the needs of their modern-day audience. There are more than 2.5 billion people around the world who play video games, reaching a market value of $256 million by 2025. Tommy Taurico is a legend in the gaming industry, having worked as a producer, writer, developer. He holds five Guinness World Records for his work in the video game and live entertainment categories. Tommy is now the CEO of Intellivision Entertainment, a company that's using technology, creativity, and passion to bring families and friends together again. Guest hosting this episode of All Business is the C-Suite Network's Chief Community Officer, Trisha Ben. Most of us here today grew up playing some type of video game at the arcade. We actually know what the arcade is. And the industry obviously is scaling, you know, to that 256 billion by 2025. It's absolutely enormous. Now, how are you reimagining what this industry looks like for the 21st century in what you're doing with Intellivision? Yeah, for sure. And and to add to that, it's $180 billion a year industry, but we've seen double-digit growth over the last 30 years. And then when the pandemic happened, the industry went up about 23%. So, so talk about a bulletproof bull market, right? And so, yeah, you know, I've been involved with video games over 32 years. One of those uh, Guinness World Records that, that you mentioned is the person who's worked on the most video games in their lifetime. My mother is very proud. Of course, my dad always said, well, my dad always said, oh, all those quarters we gave you growing up finally paid off. I've seen a lot of the way the industry has changed from when I first got into it to where it is now. And to give you a quick overview of where does that $180 billion get distributed, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because there's three basic categories of gaming. The first category is mobile games. And so a mobile out of that 180 billion, about 55% of it, and the numbers vary from year to year. So, but around 55% of that 180 billion is spent on mobile. And in fact, and again, these numbers fluctuate. So I don't want to get, you know, exact and precise, but typically just in the United States alone, the average person spends around $90 plus on phone games every year, right? So that's kind of, kind of crazy. The other 25% is the home consoles, Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo. And then the final 20% of that 180 billion is PC gaming. You know, they call uh, sometimes referred to as the master race. Uh, That's how they, (laughs) they, you know, these are the folks who spend three, $4,000 on a, on a rig and, you know, so that's how the industry is broken down. So you'll notice that over the last eight years or so, Mobile has completely taken over the video game industry worldwide. And so now you look at the numbers and you say, okay, in regards to people playing and the demographics, where does that sit? So the hardcore gamers, which represent 45% of the market, so PC and then the home consoles, Mm -hmm. they are what considered hardcore gamers. That's about 200 million people worldwide. 
that's pretty impressive, right? Yeah. But the biggest market, the casual gamers or hyper-casual gamers, and even consider themselves non-gamers. Oh, I don't play video games. I play Candy Crush for an hour every day on my phone. But no, I'm not a, I'm not a gamer. I don't play video games. That's 3.1 billion people who play hyper-casual, casual games on phones or, you know, solitaire on PC or whatever, what have you. So that tells you a lot, which is basically when presented in, a, in the proper way, People are interested, no matter what your skill level, people are interested in interacting and playing video games. Okay. But where has the industry changed? Now, when I first got involved in the video game industry in the late 80s, early 90s, we had things like the Nintendo Entertainment System. These were the, these were the platforms I was creating games for, right? The NES, the, the Game Boy, the Sega Genesis, the Super Nintendo coming on 89, 90, 91. And when I grew up, I'm 53 years old. I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s when, you know, video games were something pre-internet. Video games were something that we did together. You know, it was a community thing. You mentioned arcades, right? Mm -hmm. We all went to arcades. We went with our parents. We went with our friends. We went with significant others at the time, whatever. But it was a community thing. And in television was my system growing up. So sitting down, playing video games with my mom and dad, with my younger brothers, with the neighborhood friends coming over, games were a communal thing. And and we didn't have blood and guts and gore, and we didn't have bad language, and we didn't have, you know, games were a lot more, I think, innocent back then. They were Mm -hmm. simpler. They were easier to pick up and play. There was more of a friend kind of cooperative or versus type of, you know, modes that were available. And when the internet kind of came into our industry in the late 90s and when the technology started getting better and better and more photorealistic, you started to kind of see a shift, right? Where now you started to have things like first-person shooter games and you started to see when the internet came aboard, multiplayer gaming now meant a kid in a dark room with their headphones on, you know, playing people from around the world. Then we started getting things like in-app purchases and loot boxes and subscription services. So it's one thing to like, oh, we would just buy the game back in the day and we'd play it. Now it's games are being designed around trying to suck as much money out of you as possible, right? Even after you play it first. I mean, there's so many horror stories out there of parents looking on their credit card and seeing an $8,000 charge this month because of Roblox or Minecraft or Fortnite or what, you know, crazy things happening. So um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then when you think about gaming today, the majority, again, I don't want to, I'm talking majority here. I don't want to get to, um, you know, say, well, what about this game or that game, but the majority of games are very isolating, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of first player games, even the phone, everybody just staring at their phone. Right. So the whole concept of what we've done and, and what we've created in television, Amico, Amico is the Italian word for friend. Mm-hmm. And in television was the company that I love and, and grew up with. And so about three years ago, three and a half years ago, we restructured the company. 
And we're now bringing out a brand new video game machine that is focused around families, friends, getting together in the living room, playing simple, easy to pick up and play games, no matter what your skill level. We have a simple controller and our four pillars of our company are simple, affordable, family, and entertainment. And that those four cornerstones spell out the word safe, simple, affordable, family, entertainment, because we don't allow violence. We don't allow bad language, nudity, foul language, all, all that violence. We don't allow that on the console. It's family friendly. Think of us like the Disneyland of consoles. Yeah. Um, we, we don't allow in-app purchases and loot boxes and gambling and everything's affordable and everyone can get together and pick it up and play. So that's really the basis of what we're doing and, and the differentiator for us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. C-Suite Radio. It's so incredible, and there's so many pieces that I want to unravel in that description. I I think where I want to start, though, because I really do, I, I know we get to have a sneak peek. And also your personal story is so extraordinary. But but where I want to start is you've just set the groundwork. You've got this really important mission. You're making us think to how we game together again. And there's a nostalgia that I'm sure all of us are feeling now as you describe that. We go back in our memory and we were creating nostalgia for those of us that are a little younger that don't remember that as our experience. But I'm curious, let's focusing on the business model. You know, you became the CEO of Intellivision in 2018. What did your business model look like as you looked to this whole new mission and a way to really reinvent the way that we all are thinking about gaming now as this isolating experience? What did the business model look like for you then? And how has it changed? Because now yeah. we're 2021, we've had COVID, so much has happened. And you mentioned, you know, the explosion in terms of even greater growth than we've seen year over year for 30 years. How has the business model changed and and where are you sitting with that now in terms of this extraordinary mission and a different take on what gaming is in our lives? The way we kind of structured our ecosystem and business model is that we didn't want to create something that felt was competing with Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo. They have the big technology, especially Sony with the PlayStation and Microsoft with their Xbox products. They're cutting edge, bleeding edge, fastest chips, teraflops this, gigawatts that, you know, whatever. We didn't want to play in that arena. You need billions of dollars to compete in in that arena. Where we want to compete is with ideas. Where we want to compete is with passion. So, and the games that we want to create and the ecosystem that we want to create isn't about the most photorealistic graphics, right? It's great graphics, 
that are acceptable, but we're not trying to create big giant 3D worlds because now the controller gets super complicated. You know, like I can't even play games with my wife or my mom and dad anymore because it's just the controller is a non-starter. You know, it, it's very complex to get into most video games these days, right? And so for us, it was important that we, you know, that we made money on the hardware, but also that we kind of owned the software as well. And so we created a really amazing platform for developers. So because one of the things that we wanted to do is, you know, you have to have great games. I, I could create the greatest video game technology console in the world, but if the games aren't fun and if people don't want to play them, then it doesn't matter. You know, we recognized early on because we're all developers. I mean, the team that we've put together at Intellivision is, is pretty amazing. We have over 600 years of video game experience just on our core executive team. I mean, these are the best of the best who've worked on the greatest selling platforms and products and games of all time. And we're all game makers, though, right? So that's the big differentiator for us is that we're not a bunch of suits we're looking at just spreadsheets and, oh, this gaming thing's supposed to be pretty hip these days. How can we make money doing that? You know, that never ends up working well. That never ends well, you know? So we are game makers, successful game makers and content creators who've created this platform and ecosystem for others to thrive in. And so paying developers up front, giving them back end is something that we don't see too often in the industry these days because there's so many independent developers out there and there's so much content on other platforms because it's not curated, right? So we curate everything on our console so that we can control everything that's going out and help make it the best game possible, give them resources, whether it's art design or audio design or, or game design or optimization for code on our systems whatever it takes, marketing, PR, all of that stuff, they become a part of our experience team. And that's what makes the platform so great is we don't have to spend five to $10 million creating games either, right? So okay. independent developers, super talented people that maybe have anywhere from three to 10 people on the team, and they can work six to nine months to create something extremely amazing and simple and easy to pick up and play for everyone to do. Because remember, complexity is not what we're about. Photorealism is not what we're about. Let's get back to the core of what made gaming great. Fun, right? Let As long as it's fun and it looks decent, then that's all we can ask for. And that's where we've really hit it out of the park. We currently have 50 developers around the world working on games for us. We have about 20 of them are complete already. And so, you know, the hardware is complete. You know, we really have an amazing thing. But you're right. Yeah. 2018, when you're sitting down, you know, doing the business model, you certainly don't have a line item in there that said world's going to shut down for a year. Uh, worst economic downturn and unemployment in 100 years, you know, since the Great Depression. You don't do those things. So, you know, you don't put those things in there. You have contingency plans, but not that. Right. Yeah. And so for us, it's rolling with the punches. It's coming up with new creative ways to keep our head above water. They say they call it hardware for a reason because it's yeah. hard to do. So that's in normal circumstances, putting out a product like this 
is like, you know, against all odds, right? But then to do it a pre-revenue startup, basically, you know, to do it through COVID and survive and make it this far and, and have the product, that means there's some magic behind it. That means there's some fate behind what we're doing. The, the universe has aligned. The stars have aligned. This is going to make it to market. Yes, grit and determination and never giving up. But there's a higher power involved, I think, at this point as well, because you know many other companies, much bigger post-revenue, have failed you know, during the last year and a half, unfortunately. So we've had to do everything we've can. You know, we've raised $17 million over yeah. the last <laughs> two years. And I got news for you, not a single VC. It was all private money, all private money. Because when people sit down and they play it and they hear our story and they understand this huge gaping hole that is currently in the video game market right now, when they, and they see the numbers and they go, my gosh, you know, and then they see the returns. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's easy, but it, it's understandable why any investor can look at this overall picture and go, wow, that's worth taking a risk on, you know, because everything's well, in the risk. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you said it's not easy. I mean, at the end of the day, you're creating that opportunity, right? You you obviously are providing that great leadership. You've got a great team in place and you're bringing in those resources and playing them to their best advantage, right? In terms of the developers and so on that you're working with worldwide. That's not by chance, right? That's, that's driven by a passion that you lead as the CEO and certainly the majority shareholder. So I would really love for you to share that passion. You know, you have this incredible history in the gaming industry, your passion for music, your passion for gaming, and how you've created this groundswell of support to understand that whole, the opportunity here. And how have you captured that? How have you really brought that personal story, that personal history and passion to this mission that you're on? Uh, how do you see that play out? All four of my grandparents were Italian immigrants uh, who came over right before World War One via the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island. And my grandfather would always tell me about, look, if you can find a vocation that you love and that you're passionate about, you'll never work a day in your life. You know, it'll always seem like it's something that you you love and you're passionate for. But he also always said too, you know, if you can provide value and trust to consumers, the success follows, right? It's not always about the bottom line and the profit margin and the spreadsheet, you know, doing something you love that comes out, you know, like if you really truly believe in a product, you know, and and you look at folks like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and, you know, some of these uh, great guys, amazing people over, you know, the last couple decades where they've they've driven their companies by passion. Yeah, I work 20 hours a day. If you consider this what I playing video games and uh, you know work, but you know, obviously it's more than playing video. But Ooh. but you know, it it's what I love uh what I love to do. And so I don't view it as oh gosh, I got to get up today and oh yeah. Yeah, there's challenges every single day. Yes, there's pressure and and stress, but when you truly believe in something And every person that we hire, you know, we have about 60 employees around the world. And I would rather hire somebody 
who maybe is less experienced, but more passionate about what we're doing than Mm -hmm. somebody who's more experienced, but less passionate and is going to look at it as a job. So picking the right team members is also surrounding yourself. I can't do everything. Surrounding yourself with the talented people who have that same kind of passion that you do becomes very important. It's, it's It's the key to the organization and the product success. And when you walk into Intellivision, any of our offices, you feel it. You feel it the second you walk in, you know, people laughing and having a good time and happy and creativity, just, you know, and ideas bouncing out of every corner, you know, off of every wall and ceiling. So that's important, creating that kind of atmosphere that people who you work with We never say people don't work for us. They work with us. When you have that kind of environment and there's 60 people who are just as passionate as I am, you can, you can really do amazing things. And, but trust and value. That's always something that, that we put in every ounce of energy into every part of the project that we can. Absolutely. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. C-Suite Radio. Frequently, for those of us as business leaders, we've excelled in sports or it might be music. You know, there's all kinds of things where we've learned how to how to really succeed as uh, a team member or as a leader of a team. And I'm just really curious when you look at the gaming industry and experience that you've had starting out as a gamer. I'd love for you to share the story of how you got into gaming, by the way. But what are the things that we can learn from the gaming industry? or from the gaming experience that we can apply to our businesses and our success as we push through all of those challenges that we all have as business leaders? Yeah. I mean, the gaming industry is really kind of still like the wild west. So I don't know if <laughs> it's like, there's that one famous scene in one of my favorite movies is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And there's one great scene where, you know, Indiana Jones, they once again took the Ark away from them. And now it went on a truck and he's like, you know, now, what are you going to do? And the camera pans to Indy and he goes, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along, right? It's that drive of always what's going to come at me next. For me, my very favorite movie is Rocky, being a, you know, East Coast Italian, you know, growing up in the East Coast. Of course, I'm going to love Rocky. I was 10 years old or eight years old when it came out in 1976. But there's that great scene in the movie, 14th round. And Apollo knocks Rocky down, boom, again, right? When he's been hanging in there the whole time and he knocks him down. And you got Mickey saying, down, kids, stay down, stay down. And and Apollo's got his arms in the air, back to Rocky, crowd's going wild. Adrian hears something crazy going on. She she walks out and she sees that Rocky's on the canvas and, you know, she kind of looks down and very emotional. And what does Rocky do? Doesn't matter what happens. He gets up. He doesn't care. Nothing. The only person that can beat Rocky is Rocky, right? And he gets up off the canvas and that look on Apollo's face when he turns around and he just puts his hands on his hip and he just like, 
He just shakes his head. And what does Rocky do? Come on, <laughs> come on, come on. So emotional. I mean, I'm, I'm getting emotional even thinking about it, but that, that's how you got to approach every single day. Every single day you wake up, especially the last year and a half. You know what? Every goal, every, every, everything that, I, that, that we do and that I do in my life, I, I envision it, every goal I have, I envision it like a mountain that I have to climb. And I'm on the bottom of the mountain at the beginning of the goal. And I look up at the top. I envision myself at the top of the mountain, you know, mm-hmm. and I may not know how I'm going to get there exactly. And you know what else I know? I know that it's going to rain on me on my way up. It's going to sleet. It's going to snow. The wind is going to be, I'm going to be hanging on for dear life as the wind takes me out over. I'm going to reach limits where I can't go any further. So I'm going to have to go back down and figure out another way around. And there's going to be a lot of people below me who are trying to bring you down, who are attaching on your foot and trying to drag you off that mountain. And I know that's going to happen, but I'm going to make it to the top. I'm going to make it to the top and nothing is going to stop me from getting there. And once you've climbed that mountain a couple of times, you've set goals, even if they're smaller goals or medium goals. And when you never give up and you never take no for an answer and you get up there, then you you have this sense of like accomplishment and go, you know what? Now there's a big mountain over there and there's a medium mountain over there. And oh, there's a really big one over there. It's just a matter of going and doing it at that point. You know, once you've won, then you get that confidence, not arrogance, but confidence. Once you have that confidence to to do it, and that that's really what drives me every day. I'm a big believer in the secret and positive mental attitude and abundance and gratitude. And I got my uh, my vision board over there, and I wake up every day thinking about it. And every day is a challenge, and we're going to figure out how to get through it. I love that. You know, I've always used the idea of a Rubik's cube as the leader of the business. It's like you get one side that's all lined up. It's beautiful. It's all green. (laughs) And then, and then it's like, you have to mess up that beautiful green side to get the next side, you know, and, and you're constantly manipulating the squares to get to, you know, two sides for you know but now you're making me think donkey kong jr i got barrels being thrown at me while barrels. <laughs> you know trying to climb up i absolutely love that imagery and that notion that you never give up and sometimes you have to go back and then you and then that gets you further forward and and now we need to bring our teams along as well so so as you think to this and i know i'm going to hand things over because i know there are going to be all kinds of great questions from our community that's here in the meeting and and also uh watching live streaming as well but as you look at what you've done, you know, your career and then 2018 taking on this role and leading through this mission. And by the way, I want to I know everybody's going to want to see the uh, the unit as well. Yeah, um, yeah but, I got a couple. But, uh, absolutely. So but what is the biggest surprise? You know, the thing that in taking on this role, obviously, there's a ton of nostalgia. There's a really clear mission of creating that safe offering that there's opportunity for in the market that we need in terms of our digital lives now and our family life and our friend life, all of that. What's been the biggest surprise for you in, in leading this new entity that is in Television Amico? Biggest surprise. I mean, whenever you start a project, especially one of this magnitude, you always think it's going to be hard, but you're always naive to how hard it's 
going to be. And I, I, I don't know if that's just like a coping mechanism that my brain goes through. <laughs> my brain goes through, like, oh yeah, I'll be able to do this. And but to get to to point A to point B to get to the top of the mountain, it's like, oh yeah, I can get there. The, the surprise is as hard as you think it's going to be. It's always like ten times harder, <laughs> you, know, you know. And yeah. and I think you have to prepare yourself for that, right? You, you have to. What, 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 whatever your vocation is, whatever your business is, whatever your goal is or your career, in order to succeed, it is very, very, very rare that anything's handed to you. You have to do it yourself. It doesn't get easier. Yes. You know, your ability to want to go at it becomes easier. The more wins you get, the more confidence you have. But the actual work itself and the actual challenges themselves, it doesn't get easier, right? So if that's something that some people don't have a lot of confidence in in their abilities, right? Some people aren't great communicators. I think having the ability to communicate, to tell your story, to sell yourself, to sell your product, to sell your business, to sell your passion, I think is very underrated and understated a lot. You know, people are like, Oh, well, you know, talent is everything. All it takes is talent. No, you know, networking and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the the word C-suite network, right? Mm -hmm. Networking is half the game. That's just as important, if not more important than talent itself, right? The famous saying in Hollywood, it's not what you know, it's who you know, but in Hollywood, it's, it's not what you know or who you know, it's who your agent knows. And, right. and so, you know, and and that, now, now the latest I've heard on that, I just heard this yesterday. It, it's beyond those three things. It's who knows you. And who so, knows you. Yeah, right? Right. yeah, 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 exactly. And so I think that plays such an important, which is, which is great. Right. Which yeah. is why C-suite is such a network is such a, a great platform for people to, you know, understand, meet, learn, network, mm-hmm. you know, with others. So. That's so important. And when I speak to college kids or anyone about, about this stuff, that's one of the one things that, that I say more than anything, you can do it now. The person sitting next to you in class could be the next Steven Spielberg or the next Elon Musk or the next, you know, Bill Gates, who knows, right? You know, you can start that networking now. I find that we all listen to this stuff and we understand it. But I think the difference between the 1% success stories and the 99 who failed, I think the difference is, is that those 100 people could all hear the same, watch the same thing, read the same books, understand and recognize the same thing. But it's that 1% who actually went out and did it every single day. They didn't think about it. They didn't talk about it. You know, they got up every day and did it. And they certainly didn't wait till it was perfect, right? Uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you can't win the lottery if you don't if you don't play every day. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.